G'day and welcome to Aussie Vision. I'm Dale. And g'day, I'm Mike. And Mike, we had some pretty big news this week. Uh, Montaigne and the Australian delegation will not be travelling to Rotterdam, but of course we'll be still competing in Eurovision. Good to hear we're still competing, but unfortunate for the delegation in Montaigne won't be on the ground at Rotterdam. And obviously there's been a lot of discussion about this and there was a lot of information released about it, but we thought it'd be really good to um, chat to the delegation just to see how it all eventuated and quite a few other things has been going on in the background. Absolutely, and so kind to give us their time were Josh Martin, who is of course the commission commissioning editor of Entertainment and Food at SBS and also the head of delegation for Australia, and Paul Clark, the director at Blink TV and the creative director for the Australian delegation. And we're going to hear from both of them straight up about um, the decision not to go to Rotterdam. Uh, so Josh, big news this week with Australia and Montaigne not being able to travel to uh, Rotterdam, but it also must be so disappointing for you and the SBS team. Uh, how, how are you feeling about it all? Oh, look, you're right. We're, we're really disappointed. We're, we're incredibly sad, you know, because um, we obviously, to be to be there with all our friends and all the other 39 countries, um, uh, who are real friends, you know, for all of us, um, and not to have that experience um, is sad, mainly for Montaigne, you know. Mm. So two years in a row, she doesn't get that chance to to have that experience, you know. And so, so an overwhelming sadness. However, uh, everybody understands, you know, everybody understands, and um, it's it's you know, to use the phrase of twenty twenty, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And what was, I guess there's been like, it was a process kind of around, um, I guess, was it mainly like a risk thing? Because I mean, I know Monte mentioned on the Eurovision story thing that it was a, a big thing around, I guess, a risk assessment about the whole thing. Look, there's no one reason. You can't mm. sort of pin it on any one reason. Um, we we did an extraordinary amount of work. Um, I I <laughs> only use a bad analogy. I always call it the ladder of challenges. And and you never you never at the outset say no, we can't do something. Uh, and this is true in anything in life. It's like okay, well, what are the steps I need to do, and what are the challenges we need to overcome? Um, and so each one of those, and let me let me be straight, there was quite a number of challenges to mm. get from this side of the world to the other side of the world um, in, in the middle of a global pandemic. And that's everything from um, return flights. I mean, we here in Australia know how many Australians are stranded overseas. Um, uh, you know, things like that. Um, for us, it would mean five weeks in, ho- in, in living in hotels, like three weeks mm. on the ground there, two weeks coming back. Um, of course, there's health and safety risks around that. But I have to say, uh, the Dutch broadcasters have done the most incredible job on, on um, like, it's extraordinary the lengths they've gone to. Um, so it was just, we tried every single thing we possibly could um, including, you know, do we just do commentary from Australia and just send a small artist thing? Like all sorts of ideas. Mm. Uh, but in the end, again, there was no one reason. It was just um, a, a whole stack of reasons, including the fact that Australians are not allowed to travel. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, and I think there's, I think you've really sort of answered it there already. But for, I guess you probably saw a lot of um, reaction online potentially. And I guess there's probably a lot of fans who go, Oh well, look, you know, athletes can travel over there. How come we can't do it for Montaigne? I mean, what what would your message, I guess, be to um, Australian fans, you know, coming from the broadcaster about that? Um, 
I have seen some of the commentary around that. Look, to be honest, I'm not entirely across um, what sporting people can go where. I mean, yes, the Olympics are on in June, but well, they're supposed to be on in June, but mm -hmm. you know, we don't we don't know. Mm -hmm. um, things change on a dime, and um, so the so the message is, you know, the the organisers planned for every eventuality. Um, they and that's why every country has had to do a live on tape. Um, uh, and I just would say, look, you know, it's just about understanding the complexities of um, of the situation. And we are as sad and, and disappointed as the fans. Trust me. Mm, yeah. yeah. We're obviously hugely disappointed. Um, there's, we've worked so hard to make it happen. Like just to, to, to look at a pathway whereby we felt that we could be safe and um, that we could do the best job that we could. Um, there's obviously a whole lot of risks involved with a pandemic. And if, if it had been a scenario where we'd been vaccinated and where the, the third wave in Europe hadn't gone up, if it had gone down, it would have been a very different thing. Um, I think it, we don't really want to kind of put the responsibility on anybody uh, it's just the way the situation has played out. And it's been a mutual decision with the network, with our production company and with Montaigne and her management. For Montaigne, um, I have no end of respect for Montaigne. She's such an original and it's so difficult to, this is two years yeah. where this mm. has happened, you mm. know, and I, my heart really goes out to her, but I'm, I'm also incredibly inspired by the person that she is. She's a really original and positive human. Well, the feeling is obvious disappointment and true sadness here, mm. you know. I mean, obviously for Montaigne herself, second time she doesn't get to perform on the stage, uh, but also for the delegation and everyone around it. A lot of work goes into this, and, and to see it not come to fruition on the ground um, is incredibly disappointing for everyone. Yeah, and you could tell their main thoughts were with um, Montaigne, and they refer to Jess because obviously they're very close, and that's her, uh, her real name. And, you know, it's about her and the disappointment for her two years in a row. Oh, but at the same time, there is all that work that goes into it. And I think what was really important there, that it really was a mutual decision between all three parties about where they got to with it. Yeah, and every avenue was explored. So it was like they really, really wanted to go. It's an unfortunate situation, but, you know, there is a pandemic. And I think, as Josh said, there's not one thing you can lay your hat on that that's why that happened. Mm -hmm. You know, that's it's just a culmination of it. It's the latter thing that he was referring to mm -hmm. um, you could see they looked at different scenarios to try and make it happen so you can see there was a lot of work to try and make it happen but obviously in the end uh, they couldn't they couldn't get there yeah yeah it's a shame yeah and I think it was good to touch on there's been a lot of discussion around the athlete comparison and I think that's um, one that I don't think is always necessarily a fair one mm -hmm. because it is very different um, we do have a public broadcast very risk averse anyway I mean my work which I'm not even public can't even travel to another state in Australia for work reasons so this comes into it as a massive broadcast and Montaigne can still compete this is why there was a live on tape put in place and I think that's a big reason for the decision too Absolutely. Uh, you know, the whole thing was put into place for this type of scenario. I think for international people too might not realise that, we're, you know, we're very COVID, or what's the word, cautious here in mm -hmm. Australia. So um, we have a very, very cautious approach to stuff. You know, we, can't, we do have an international travel ban. We don't travel freely. So it might seem a little odd to people overseas, but I think for the domestic audience here, totally understand. 
Indeed. All right. Well, we do have the live on tape that we've um, just referred to there. And we wanted to find out because it's been, it's happened and mm. it's going to be our performance. <laughs> so we wanted to find out a little bit more from this. We, so we spoke to Paul Clark, the um, creative director for the delega- delegation on this. We've already recorded our live to tape performance. And I feel really confident, like it's talk about being in a competition with one arm tied behind your back. Mm. But she did a great job on that. Uh, and I'm really confident that we'll, you know, it, it's it's a difficult scenario to be playing from. But um, I'm, I'm confident that, that we can be competitive with recording from here. Terrific. I wanted to talk about the live on tape there, Paul. It's been brought in this year by the competition organisers for exactly this kind of scenario. So I want to break it down a little more. Um, There was, as far as um, specifications for the staging and stuff like that, was that tightly controlled? And and what sort of challenges was it for? What was the process for the recording? Well, it's a really interesting creative challenge because... When you step on stage at Eurovision, you have this sort of expansive kind of TV environment where there are 2,000 moving lights and there are 25 cameras. And so it felt to us that the best thing to do is actually go the other way. And it's something that we did in Tel Aviv with Kate, like where everybody was using that beautiful and Florian Wilder um, mm. Florian Vita kind of design stage and we were the only ones that chose we're not actually going to show the stage just to be different and we so we've we've kind of organized something that's very straightforward but um and very simple and classical but with a couple of really good products that just just give us something that hopefully nobody else has got um, I can can I get into the nitty gritties of the, um, the 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 live on tape performance? Now there is EBU observers or organising observers. Were they interacting with you at the time, or is it yes. just strictly an, an observ- observation thing? They are interacting with you at the. They time. are interacting. So what what basically happens is you have to record um, your version of the song within one hour, and you're given three chances to do it. So. We rehearsed, um, we came into the, the um, uh, space where we did it in Redfern. We rehearsed one day and we'd already worked up the choreography. Uh, there's dancers involved. And then we brought in the cameras and then we just tried to integrate both. Because often what happens is you start with your choreographed piece and then you bring in the cameras and it's quite a, there's, elements that you get from the TV coverage that you want to integrate within the choreography and vice versa. So we've we've got a style that I'm really happy with and it's sort of, I'd call it contemporary retro. That's terrific. It's got a great great retro edge to it, but it's, it's got some real elegant, contemporary elegance about it as well. No, it did oh sorry, I was going to ask, did you get a chance to sort of play in between the, the three sort of individual performances? Did you look back and say, okay, maybe that worked, we'll go for something different this time, things like that, as you would in a rehearsal? Yeah, it's it's very different at Eurovision because you get the sense that you're walking on stage for your first rehearsal 
and you're you're basically trying to tune into everything that's in the room and to try and understand mm. it and and how to develop how to deliver a performance in this instance and gradually the crowd builds you start off by yourself and there's you with 30 kind of people at, at the front of stage and you tune what the coverage is going to be the next performance is with um in front of the press then you're in front of an audience a small audience and it builds so there's this constant ramp up we had to sort of go from zero to 100 without an audience <laughs> and that's a different experience and you know like naturally performers are nervous and it's what you get as a performer off the audience is a validation for your nerves and it it, it delivers once you're in front of an audience and so everyone in our room we were just encouraging you know all her team and all the record company people and the tv people had to be our audience so we really pushed them to play that role um and you've got three chances at doing it um and it, it played well because the first time we played, the second time there was a very good vocal and the third time to me felt we got a performance that you would vote for. And I, I do hope that Europeans um, don't punish Jess as a performer for not being there. Mm. Uh, I really hope that they accept that it's nothing to do with her. It's not her decision. It's not her fault. Like she wants to be there as much as any other performer. Absolutely. Um, I mean, yeah. ultimately, Paul, we're the first one that is announced. We're arguably using the live on tape. Who knows? Closer to the competition, the delegations may be forced to have to do it for mm. whatever reason. So um, yeah. who knows? We might not be. I mean, we're always unique at the contest, but we may not be so unique on this one by the time we hit the, hit, hit the, you know, hit the ground. Look, anything could happen yeah. over there. Yeah. Um, I know that our viewpoint of the way that the event was being run was that it was almost flawless against contracting COVID there in the event itself. So um, I really wish them, I hope in some ways that we are the only one. As a competitor, mm -hmm. I hope we're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly sounds like our live on tape performance is going down the small, simple and, and traditional kind of side, but we've got a few more little added extras in there as well. Contemporary retro. Mm. I like the sound of that. I and like the sound of that too. It was really interesting hearing about the like the three takes and how that worked. And it sounds like it sounds like we've got two good ones and <laughs> hey, you only need one. And it sounds like it's a really good performance, um, one that hopefully people vote for, as, as Paul mentioned. Yeah, and obviously we're the first ones who are going to do, you know, confirmed live on tape who knows the situation in europe could change some of the other performers may not be able to go so therefore we might not be the only one on the night who knows indeed okay so we've covered the live on tape but i guess what do they do now well they're going to be very busy because i mean the next month is coverage in a very different type of way so we we wanted to hear what that coverage was going to be like leading up to the contest so for this one we're going to hear from josh yeah, I wanted to ask also now we're into the build-up phase. What is it? What's the next phase look like now for for the delegation and the broadcaster in the in the build-up to the contest? 
Uh, look, we are doing a hell of a lot of work. As you know, you don't, as much as we love to think you win Eurovision with a song, um, you win Eurovision with a song, absolutely, but you win Eurovision by um, working really hard, particularly Jess herself, uh, in doing lots of interviews, um, uh, uh, lots of press, um, uh, engaging with fans from 39 different countries. Like, there is a lot of work. It's now made harder by the fact that we're not in the same time zone. So um, Jess might have to put the PlayStation controller aside occasionally to do some, <laughs> do some uh, interviews at night. Um, and, of course, at this end, you know, we've never done the commentary from Australia before. So um, we want to make that as special as we can as well. So we've got some new sort of ideas that we're working through. Um, and, uh, you know, and we, uh, I've been on constant contact with, uh, with the organisers as well on how do we uh, do things as simple as um, the green room, you know, mm. and things like mm. that. So um, we're working through all those um, issues. Our main focus is making sure that the show looks as good as it possibly can, like Eurovision, um, mm. the semifinals and grand finals, looks as good as it possibly can and it doesn't feel, and, and, and Australia's performance feels integrated into the um into the into the semi and so that's that's sort of our focus now because we don't we don't want to look like the 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 people uh skyping in from the other side <laughs> of the world you know? so, yeah. Um, so yeah we're working through all that with joel and miff and and um and blink and and, and everyone so yeah. yeah lots to do yeah yeah i can imagine i mean it's such an important week of programming uh, for SBS in general for the year. So we were going to ask about that. What does the coverage look like now that we're at home? And I guess we're still working on that with with who's where and who's coming from, you know, which which remote location. Look, it's going to look very similar to what we always do, you know, to be honest. I mean, um, the, the, the show speaks for itself. So we've still got our commentary team. Um, I, I've seen a lot of the postcards. I've seen a lot of the sort of... Um, uh, plans for, uh, for for interval acts and, and and various sort of pieces. This is going to be great, you know. <laughs> and after not having it last year, I mean, we're all we're all fanging for it, right? All, <laughs> it's going to be so. It's going to look and feel as good as Eurovision ever ever will. Yeah. It, the uh, difference, I think, the difference tonally for us uh, is that um, Joel and Miff have to get up at. You know, <laughs> in the mm. in their bags. Um, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So, but, uh, but, uh, but that's a really kind of special thing for all Australian yep. fans. You know, that, that kind of the empty streets, the darkness outside, the cold sort of wintry mornings. Yep. Like it's, it's, it's a sort of an experience in itself. So um, it's going to kind of be good for, for the whole team here to, to experience that as well. Well, obviously a very different kind of build-up because we won't be on the ground, but certainly not resting on their laurels. Expect to see a lot of promo coming out of Australia for Montaigne and the delegation there. So interesting to hear, like obviously the challenges of the coverage there for sure. I mean, how are they going to integrate that? Not look like the Skype thing, but for Australians at home for the actual programming, it sounds like it's going to be um, pretty straightforward. Very much so. And I think it is so important now for the EBU and our delegation to make sure we're not just sort of plonked in the middle there. Like, mm. you know, oh, by the way, here's a bit of an afterthought or whatever. So that's that's a real challenge. And yeah. And it's a whole month ahead of a lot of, obviously, PR and interviews, and it's going to be so much harder because it's going to be different time zones, as they <laughs> mentioned. So should be a tough one there. Mm. 
All right, well, let's move on now to the actual song Technicolor. And we spoke to both um, Paul and Josh about this, about the process of um, choosing the song Technicolor between all three parties. So um, initially there were a number of um, sessions that Montaigne did with different people and she decided that uh, she wasn't going to write with DNA this year. She was going to try something a little bit different. Hmm. But my personal view of Montaigne's career has been one where she was almost fired out of a cannon. From age 16, she was signed to Alberts. She just took off. And people have been telling me about Montaigne for years. And I think last year, because everybody had to stop, um, I think it was a moment where her aperture, you know, her creative aperture just opened and she thought about who am I, where am I, how did I get here, what am I going to be? And that's that's not always the greatest moment to come up with the world's kind of Eurovision <laughs> song. Yeah. And I think the way, so initially her pathway was to try songs that were really challenging and interesting. Um, there was a song called JC Ultra that was, yep. <laughs> was kind of about the, the music industry and the broader experience that I felt that a Triple J audience would particularly love, but it would be hard to translate to, you know, Central Europe, let's say, uh-huh. you know, uh, that they wouldn't necessarily respond to it. And it's not all about being competitive, but it, I think that there's an importance placed on how we go by a lot of Australians. And my concern was that while it was a really interesting and kind of exciting, you know, like Josh Martin and I felt this sort of like, oh, wow, you know, like <laughs> it, was, it, it had a, a real power to it and it, uh, but it, we just kept pushing just to see what else might happen. Yep. And um, Montaigne was going to do a session uh, with um, Tones and I, and she played her a song that she'd done with Dave Hannum, Technicolor, and um, Tones just loved that song. And I think... That was really exciting to hear because it was Montaigne's own with Dave. Um, but, I mean, I don't think Tones and I has put a bad song out. Mm. You know, mm. it was encouraging to hear it get that seal of approval. You know, it's not the first time we've had um, internally selected songs. So, mm. in a way, it was kind of as disappointing as it all was for us not to have Australia Decides, Um we, you know, it was kind of a reversion to what we did a few years back. Um, so, but it's kind of like, um, it, it can be difficult at times because you go, well, you know, sometimes if you're said, oh, come up with an idea for a TV show or something, and that's all you know. And you go, well, oh God, where do I start? Yeah. Um, 
and sometimes it's better to say, you know, I want a TV show that's got this, this, and this, and you sort of need to to build those boundaries. So, um, you know, it was largely driven by by Jess herself. Um, mm. it, it, like anything, it's a it's a creative sort of exercise. Um, you know, and this is similar to what happened in previous years when we did do internal selections. But you go, what about this song? What about that song? What about this yeah. song? Um, and is that right? Oh, I love that one, but maybe it's not going to quite work. And um, and in the end, um, Technicolor, you know, when we first heard that uh, in its early iteration, we went, oh, yeah, there's something really fun about this. There's something Ooh. very jazz. Well, from an observer's point of view, it did seem like a process uh, to get to where we did with Technicolor. I have to say some really interesting points here. You know, after the disappointment of last year, to everyone thinks, oh, you've got a whole year to come up with an entry. You know, it was very difficult for a lot of these performers to pick themselves up and start to be creative. And, you know, it is a hell of a brief. Okay, off you go. Go and create the world's greatest Eurovision song. Mm. Easier said than done. And I love how they both touched on that. I think um, Josh really spoke it. Like, you can hear the TV background of, like, going, wow, if I just had to come up with the great tv show but you had to have some things around it and also her trying to work out who she is as an artist Mm -hmm. as well and then that whole process and then come with the song so you know it's it's really interesting to hear that background and how everyone's involved in it as well yeah for sure you realize it is a real collaboration between the artist and the network and and the producers and amazing to hear that Tones and I heard it and was like, <laughs> loved it. So, hey, we've got a seal of approval of a um, huge artist uh, yeah. across the world. There. Yeah, nice to hear these voices involved. And I love the fact that they, they touched on JC Ultra, um, <laughs> the famous alien type song um, <laughs> that was around the traps. You're and I love obsessed the, with the dark. I cannot obsessed. wait to hear this song. And I just love the facts. Like, you know what? Maybe that won't work in Central Europe. And mm-hmm. it shows that, yes, you can be yourself, but there's always an eye on the fact this is a Eurovision song and it's a competitive of songs so you're going to make sure that you you appeal to people the absolutely same time. and fit into that competition environment and finally while we had them here we'd had to bring up the future of australia particularly australia decides and what's happening with that we're going to hear from josh on this one and uh and talking about australia decides josh are we going to have it for 2022 uh, <laughs> yeah well look um i mean at the moment we're very much concentrated on, you know, it's four weeks out from Eurovision, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're, we're already like, we just want to party on the Gold Coast, that's all. <laughs> yeah, look, um, we will obviously announce that in, in due course, but um, yeah, I mean, absolutely, that would be the plan. Um, it is the show that we we just love doing, you know. Um, Paul, but the Blink team and us, it's not an understatement to say that we actually put everything we got into that show because we love it and and we love uh we yeah we just actually love it it is it is we'd probably do it for free you know (laughs) (laughs) but um and and we're constantly talking about it like um uh paul and i texting each other about various artists who well this person could be good that person could be good um how about the wiggles for eurovision no (laughs) no, just joking (laughs) never rule anyone out never rule it out never know you never know you're right right so um but i think that i mean i think you know as australia decides and as Australia's Eurovision journey continues, um, I'm so excited about the possibilities of, of where that can go and um, uh, and continually not just to challenge ourselves and, and, and the fans, but just to, it's a creative exercise, you know? Of course. So, yeah. 
And um, I guess for, for anyone who feels like, oh, okay, we're not going over to compete this year. What does this mean for Australia and Eurovision? I mean, what does the future look like? At the moment, I know we're up to 2023. We've got the thumbs up on it. Like, what's Australia's future looking like in Eurovision? Oh, look, um, we want to be there forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um we want to be there forever so, as long as um and and the more we can continue to um you know uh, work with the australian music industry and get new artists in i mean i i was driving somewhere the other day and to hear um just just remember this like we I was just in the car driving and Technicolor comes on on the radio on, on Triple J and we haven't even got to Eurovision yet. And that is, that that didn't happen a few years ago, you know, so. Huge, um, it's huge, yeah. Yeah, so just to get that radio airplay and that support from the music industry, I think is really important. Um, and it is a, again, there's not many other outlets where you can have original Australian music Um uh, promoted to to you know 200 million people so um yeah we'll be there as long as we're we're invited yeah <laughs> well nothing really official but it certainly sounds like we're heading towards back towards our national final which is fantastic news yeah you can definitely hear the excitement and the passion around australia decides from the delegation here and so it definitely sounds like it is back on but until we get an official announcement we can't say that for sure but it is looking pretty good yeah fantastic news really really good and overall kind of (laughs) future of of eurovision um uh future of Australia and Eurovision sounds great. Like, you know, they're obviously very dedicated. Just because we've had this hiccup, it doesn't mean we're backing away from the contest. And that's just reassuring to hear. Definitely. A lot of people worked hard to get us there. So um, you don't think we'll be leaving without a fight. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, look, that's it for um, this little special episode just talking to the delegation and just hearing more about the the background of it and hopefully fans can get a a better understanding about sort of uh, what has taken place about the decision we're fans and we certainly got more of an insight from listening to to them about how that decision was made yeah great for paul and josh to make time for us uh to and have a chat yeah, and good luck to the delegation for the very busy, and Montaigne mainly, for the very busy month ahead. <laughs> yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. Catch you later. 